Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to Mixtress Radio and or the podcast, What's This Bitch Talking About? So this week, for whatever reason, this is my Buffy podcast where I um, review, recap every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after it aired. So for whatever reason, there was no episode on this day 20 years ago. So um, we're not going to actually get to recap I, Robot, You, Jane, which is the next episode until next Friday. So I didn't want to leave you guys hanging for a whole week, not talking about Buffy. So I thought this might be a good opportunity to tell you my, my Buffy story, how I discovered Buffy, my relationship with Buffy, how it has evolved over the years. Um, so this is going to be a seven hour long podcast. <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to do that to you guys. Not going to do it. Um, but just briefly, and by briefly, I mean, this will probably still take an hour, but I wanted to tell you guys my story, my Buffy story. So I remember, I kind of, I feel like I grew up with Buffy. That's the main plot point that I'm going to hit right here is Buffy. Um, let's see. She, I think she was born in 1980, the character Buffy. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure that's what was on the tombstone one of the times that she died. 1980. Uh, I was born in 1982. So she was, when the show debuted, she was a sophomore and I would have been in eighth grade. So I would have been two years behind her. But, um, yeah, anyway. So, first off, the character Buffy. My first experience with the character Buffy was the movie. I remember seeing the previews and I was so into that moment where her watcher throws a knife at her face and she catches it right before, like, it hits her in the eyeball. I was so into that. That shot alone made me want to watch the movie. I thought the movie was super campy, super fun, super cheesy. I loved it. When they started showing the previews for the show, like, I don't know, it would have been just only a couple years later at the most. I feel like the movie came out in like 94 and the TV show came out in 97. Somewhere around there. Anyway, whatever. Eventually, I'll recap the movie for you guys. Um, probably during the summer when we're in between episodes. Um, but whenever I first started seeing previews for the show, when the show was about to come out, I was not at all interested. I had... I, for some reason, did not understand how the show could translate... How the movie could translate into a TV show. I thought they were going to fuck it up. I didn't even try to watch it, which is one of my biggest regrets in life, is that I didn't try to watch Buffy from the beginning. I was the demographic of Buffy watchers. I had the channel at the time. I knew it was coming. I saw the previews. I could have watched it from the very beginning, and I could have loved it from the very, very beginning, but I missed out because I didn't want to try a new thing. How many times has that happened in my life? Never as much regret as this time I decided not to try a new thing. 
Um, I did not watch Buffy until I started dating a terrible human that had pretty good taste in pop culture. And he was obsessed with Buffy. He, and this was during season three. So I didn't start watching it until sometime in season three. I do not know. I wish I did know the first episode that I ever watched, but I'm sure it wasn't from the beginning of season three, but I don't know where in season three I came in. At that point, I, I remember loving it immediately and thinking, shit, why didn't I watch this since the beginning? And then I would especially, I would have a memory of watching Buffy on my own instead of some stupid guy showing it to me. Ugh. Anyway, so first time I watched Buffy was with the stupid guy. I immediately loved it. We watched all of season three and then the show, I don't think, the show itself did not switch networks, but something changed about our cable provider and we no longer had the channel that it showed on because it stopped being shown on whatever channel. Like, we didn't actually have the WB. We, um, I think for some reason in our area, they showed Buffy since it was such a popular show, like a portal to the WB. <laughs> but we didn't actually have it. I don't know. Or we did have it, but then we stopped getting it. Whatever reason, for whatever reason, the show of Buffy was not available to me during season four and season five. So I couldn't watch it for two whole years, and I really lamented this fact. But at that point in my life, I was not... Um, I was not technologically savvy enough to figure out how else to watch it. I don't think you could torrent things back then because that would have been like 2000, 2001, um, which was a dark period in my life, but whatever. So I didn't get to see it years four and five while it was on. But I think by the time I stopped being able to see it, I had seen enough reruns that I think I was completely caught up. I think I had seen all of the first three seasons by the time it was taken away from me. And I don't know if it was on reruns. I don't know if I saw it at all. Was I, did I already own the DVDs? Did the DVDs come out that soon after they were made? Like, why didn't I seek out the DVDs to get caught up? I don't know. But for whatever reason, those two years that I was without Buffy, I was just without Buffy. Didn't see it. I knew some, like, general plot details. I knew that Willow was gay. I knew that Buffy had died. That's all I knew. We... Okay, so I'm jumping ahead of myself. We got UPN... We had UPN, so when the, when the show moved to UPN for season six, I was able to start watching it again, and I was so excited. And I think at the time I did not live at home, but I would set my mom's TiVo to record it, and then I would go over to the house when everyone else was asleep and watch it. Like, I remember watching it, like, super late at night, um, the entire season six and probably season seven as well. So I watched in real time total. I got to see seasons three, six, and seven, but I missed one, two, four, and five, and probably a good 
portion of three I missed while it was airing. So I kind of saw almost half of Buffy as it was airing. But by the time I was watching season six, this is this was a life-changing... Buffy saved my life. That's the title of this F.A. F.A.? <laughs> that's the title of this essay. Buffy saved my life. So when season six happened and a lot of people don't like season six because of how dark it got because it was the most angsty season ever it was everybody self-destructed in that season it was a very emotionally charged dark season it dealt with themes of depression and addiction and abusive relationships and it was dark 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 but thematically it was exactly what I needed at that point in time and I think I've mentioned that before but I'm going to go kind of deeper into it now and hopefully I won't start crying but if I do hey that's real right I'll leave it in so season six would have been 2002 like end of 2001 2002 for me that was I graduated in May of 2001 from high school I was still with the bad boyfriend. I was with him for five and a half years total. So from the time period of season, but that's longer. We didn't actually break up around that time, did we? We didn't break up till 2003. So it took me a while to internalize everything that I needed to internalize that I learned from season six but I really think that this season was a big reason that I decided to finally get out of that really terrible relationship that's how Buffy saved my life because there were times during this relationship that I and and of course I was also in my late teens early 20s I was still I was prone to a lot of that kind of adolescent drama but I really so a lot of so some of this is dramatic you know my dramatic pre-adolescent post-adolescent brain development but I felt like I was gonna die in that relationship I felt like I wasn't I would literally think to myself and sometimes write in my diary, I don't know if I'm going to survive. Let's just say his name. Jason. I don't know if I'm going to survive Jason. I didn't know if I would. That's like the first time I've said his name. Like I said the name Jason in regards to other Jasons. But when referring to him, I have not said his name in a very long time. Like maybe even a decade. So it's almost like that is, that feels like something. That feels like some kind of progress in my emotional development that I'm able to say his name again. Weird. Anyway, I thought I wasn't going to survive him. He was very abusive. About 96%, about 90% of that abuse was verbal and psychological. Um, the only way it was physical was sexual aggression. 
Um, that's as much as I'd like to say about that. But he was an abusive person. He was very abusive. And it was the first serious relationship of my life. We were together from, um, he was two and a half years older than me, but from my age, I was 15 to 20. I don't think I had turned 20. I think we were broken up by the time I turned 21. Yeah. Cause we broke up at the beginning of 2003 and I turned 21 in October of 2003. So sorry, I'm telling you a lot of specific details when I want to make this relatable to people, but I'm always telling too many specific details. But anyway, jumping way, way, way ahead because we're not going to watch season six for another almost six years. But um, when I watched this, I had just graduated high school. I had my first grown-up job with the family business. So it almost doesn't count as a grown-up job because I didn't have to interview for it. They sort of created a position for me just to be nice to me and give me some money. <laughs> and I wasn't a very hard worker. I did not, I hadn't learned a work ethic yet, but um, I had been at that job for about six months by the time I started watching this season of Buffy. I had my own apartment um, but I that I lived in by myself. I never lived with this terrible guy. I somehow knew enough to know that I couldn't ever live with him. Like I somehow knew that there was no future, but I also simultaneously thought I wasn't going to survive him. Like, what did I think he was going to kill me or something? I don't know. But I just remember that was a recurring thought repetition that I would not survive him. Um, anyway, so at first I was not cognizant of this at all, but watching season six, watching Buffy and Spike have a relationship together that was mostly sexual and mostly abusive on both ends. That was just a very bad idea. It, it's not something, I mean, I know a lot of people are Team Spike. People that have just watched the TV show are Team Spike. But it's really a bad situation. And it's kind of telling if you pick Spike. Like, Spike is a very enjoyable character. I understand. I understand. He's hot. He's cool. He's very loyal in his way. Um, and he turns out to be a very, very genuinely good person later. But not in season six. He still doesn't have a soul. And that is an important distinction in the Buffy universe. It's an important distinction. And they were trying to tell a story about an abusive relationship. And I don't think a lot of people necessarily got it. Because a lot of people just enjoy abusive relationships. But anyway. So I, I was not cognizant of how it was making me feel at the time. But I remember almost every episode, I would just be crying the whole time. So thankfully I had a safe space to enjoy this season of Buffy. I was in my mom's living room late at night. Everyone was asleep. I was watching Buffy and I was crying. So much crying. And like I said, it was still a year before I actually left the guy successfully. But our relationship had a really long, slow death. And this is kind of, I mean, this wasn't when the death began, but this is when it became inevitable. And I just keep like 
putting off actually saying what I'm trying to say, which is seeing Buffy have a relationship with Spike. I think I've always related to Buffy, which is strange because she's a she's a bubbly blonde, like she wants to be a normal girl. I've never wanted to be a normal girl. But she's very much not a normal girl, and that is the part that I relate to. Um, and the strength of Buffy's character, the strength of her just as a superhero, I think I needed... I think I will always need Buffy as a character, but watching her, a very strong person, a very self-assured person for most of her arc on the show, degrade herself by being in a relationship with Spike. Somebody just stopped to ask me where the 420 party was. I, at first I thought that was a euphemism for do you have any pot? But I guess she was just like literally thinking that there was going to be some kind of party in this park. I don't know. I haven't seen anybody. <laughs> I've just seen the normal amount of nobody at this park as any other day. Um, happy 420, you guys. Um, uh, what was I talking about? I was talking about Buffy degrading herself by being in a relationship with Spike. Anyway, from the very beginning of watching the season, I, I was super into Buffy being with Spike. I really wanted them to get together. Even not having the buildup of watching season four and season five, which there's a lot of character development of, you know, Spike getting the chip, Spike falling in love with Buffy, you know, all of that shit. I didn't have any of that buildup. I didn't know any of that. I think I'd, you know, they were playing reruns, I'm sure. So I think I got caught up pretty quickly, but I didn't start getting caught up until I started watching season six as it was airing. I remember being so confused in the very beginning of the season because I knew that Buffy had died, but I didn't know all the circumstances. And it was just such a weird jump because you got to understand the last episode I had seen was the last episode of season three. So I went straight from seeing graduation day part two, where they graduated high school and they were like looking towards the future. They had just defeated the mayor and, you know, Angel was leaving town they were getting ready to go to college, and then I jumped straight to Buffy coming back from the dead. <laughs> so that was a very jarring situation, and I was very confused at first. But once I got caught up, I was very into her and Spike being together. I was so happy when it happened. I started, um, I had nicknames for people. I had a live journal blog back in that day. <laughs> And I had nicknames for everyone so that I wouldn't be, like, saying their actual names. And my nickname for my terrible boyfriend was Spike. I totally saw him as Spike. And that makes sense because he was a beautiful boy that treated me like shit. And Spike doesn't always treat Buffy like shit. You know, he genuinely loves her. He cares about her. He protects her. He protects everyone she loves. He would never think about hurting anyone she loves. Even without a soul, he has all those characteristics. My terrible boyfriend was not that nice. But, um, all that said, there are, were still similarities. Like, Spike was not good for Buffy. 
he would tell her things like, no one else can understand you but me. No one else will love you the way that I can. You belong in the dark with me. You know, lots of typical, like, they were writing him to be the typical abusive boyfriend. Like, that was his purpose. He was there for that reason. And I am eternally grateful to Marty Noxon, who was the main writer on, she was the showrunner that year of Buffy. Joss Whedon was not the showrunner that year. He was, he was out of it. All he cared about was writing the musical episode, and then he was out as far as season six is concerned. And a lot of people say that that was like, that season six was the worst season, but it was the season that saved my life. And I have Marty Noxon to thank for that. So thank you, Marty Noxon. You are one of my favorite humans forever. Because even though I didn't know, I didn't know, you know, like it, it took me until I looked back at this part of my life to know that seeing one of my very favorite characters in the world, ironically, that was introduced to me from the terrible boyfriend, by the terrible boyfriend, seeing her be, it was, it's almost like, okay, okay, oh my god, oh my god, parallel, parallel. It's almost like the same sort of feeling that I got listening to Beyonce's Lemonade sort of a similar parallel because if someone as amazing and powerful and self-assured and like so much of a goddess, someone that is as much of a goddess as Beyonce can be cheated on by someone that she truly loves that she has a kid with and blah, blah, blah. And she can have this very common woman's experience of being cheated on and being lied to and all that shit and if someone can cheat on Beyonce if even Buffy can be in an abusive relationship it's just such a powerful message and it's something that I I'm sure has saved more than just me the people that defend that love season six are people that needed it like I did because even though I didn't know what, I didn't know what was happening, but it was teaching me about abusive relationships. It was giving me a mirror into my own abusive relationship. And it was just one of the most powerful things ever. Um, I'd have to say if I were to rank all the seasons of Buffy from my most favorite to my least favorite, Let's just do that right now. Um, I might need to have a pin for this. Just, just so I don't confuse my tiny little brain, even though there's only seven seasons. If I were to rank the seasons of Buffy, season three isn't my number one. Shit. As far as just emotional impact, I almost feel like season six would need to be my number two. Oh shit, I don't know. Okay. I'll say season six is my number two. Season two is my number three. Season one is my number four. Hmm. Do I like season four or season five better? 
season four, like a lot of people don't like season four either, but season four has a lot of good episodes. It has Hush. It has my very favorite episode of all time, Restless. It has um, other stuff <laughs> as well. Um, shit. I think I like season four better than I like season five. So season four is my number five. Season five is my number six. Season seven is my number seven. I do like season seven even less. Yeah, I don't know. And of course, I'll have to reevaluate. I always have to reevaluate. I'll have to reevaluate that. But as for right now, my very favorite season of all time is season three, and then six, and then two, and then one, and then four, and then five, and then seven. So, yeah. But, I mean, it's hard to say that because I love all of them. I, I mean, for sure, I know that season three is my very favorite and season seven is my least favorite. That's just how it is. Um, I think. Because I really like the themes of season seven. Um, I like the mayor as the big bad. I like Faith as a big bad. I like Faith as a character, and that's the that's the season that you get the most Faith. Um, oh, the the body switch between Faith and Buffy happens in season four. That's another like really important story arc that is in one of my favorite story arcs of Buffy ever. One of my favorite episodes of Buffy ever is the "Who Are You" episode, um, where they have switched bodies. Um, yeah. Okay, so um, I'm going to go back to the park bathroom and pee. This will be the second time since I've been here. And then I'll come back and talk some more about my Buffy story. So I'm um, trying to think of like what else I should say about my relationship with Buffy. Um, like I said before, um, so that's like my initial relationship with Buffy. when I, The first time I saw Buffy as it was airing. I saw season three, six, and seven as they were airing. And um, initially I was very disappointed with season seven. In retrospect, the actual themes of season seven, the actual plot and events of season seven were not as disappointing to me as the aesthetics of season seven. They tried so hard to make it such a bright, happy departure aesthetically from how dark season six was that I feel like they sort of lost what Buffy aesthetically is, which from the very beginning of Buffy, it's always been a dark show, not just in theme, but in actual aesthetic. It's dark. It's darkly lit. There's a lot of, they play with shadows and it's, it's a dark show and they shed way too much light on it in season seven to try to overcompensate for the fact that season six was so thematically dark. They were just too heavy-handed with the symbolism there, I think, which is why I find it to be my least favorite season. Even though I love the way that the series ended 
that message of like empowerment for all women it it was it was good it had the effect that Joss wanted it to have on me it had the effect of turning the whole storyline of Buffy around and really putting an end a really great end cap on the whole series and looking back turning the turning the perspective back on the viewer like looking at you like it's time for you to take all of the lessons that you learned from Buffy and apply them to your own life it's a great feminist message it's I love the way that that series ended and I like the 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 spike redemption arc that is in the seventh season I think that was done really well and I'll talk so much about that when we get to that point, which will be seven years from now. But, um, <laughs> I, uh, I like season seven for its themes and its plot, but aesthetically they, they lost some of what they were by how bright they made that season. Cause I think of it in my head and I just think of all this super sunlight overlit shit and it's just... Maybe the whole season wasn't like that. I know they did that the first few episodes and it was just off-putting to me. And anyway, I'm just about to go down a rabbit hole about season seven. That is so far from now. Um, but I just wanted to tell you a little bit about my relationship to Buffy. So the first time I watched it, it was that, all that overwrought emotional emo shit that I just said. That's redundant. But, um... In the years since, I have probably rewatched the series, I don't know, maybe about 10 times total. And every time I get something else out of it, every time a different character becomes my favorite, you know, every time I feel differently about certain characters, every time I can find something emotionally that I need from it that I haven't seen before or haven't needed before. Um, it's just, it holds up completely for me. Like the cheesy, like horror effects and shit in the first couple seasons throughout the series, really, that is stuff that never bothered me. Like, I don't care about special effects being cheesy looking. I would much rather them be homemade and cheesy looking than to be digitally bad. That's part of Buffy never bothered me. The only thing about Buffy that consistently bugs me is the sound editing in fight scenes. Like, the score that they choose to put behind fight scenes, the just... I don't like the sound of like, you know, skin hitting skin. Like, I like beautiful fight scenes. Some of the fight choreography was okay. Like most of the time I didn't notice it. Most of the time I just like space off during the fight scenes. Um, if the fight scenes were more Matrix-like, I would have enjoyed them more. You know, I'd much rather see like beautiful Kung Fu than the type of fighting that is done in Buffy most of the time. That said, um, it doesn't bother me that much. I mean, that's really the only thing that consistently bugs me about the show in general, besides Xander. 
<laughs> I just, I, I hate Xander more every time I watch the show and he used to be like my favorite. I used to love Xander. I used to have the biggest crush on Xander and now I can't like him anymore because he's such an ass face. But anyway, um, yeah, my, I think I have learned, I feel, and I've said a million times and I said at the beginning, I feel like I grew up with Buffy. I have, I feel like she is like a soul sister to me. Um, there are a lot of, a lot of her darker personality aspects that I are the ones that I relate to the most. Some of her, um, her psychological problems, some of which are outlined in a season seven episode called Conversations with Dead People, in which she is talking to a vampire that used to be a psychologist who like psychoanalyzes her the entire episode. Um, that particular episode really hit me in the feels and I related to a lot of that shit. Even though I'm not a slayer, I have no reason to react to the world in the ways that Buffy does. Um, I do sometimes. Um, oh, I just got excited for a second because tonight, um, my mom and I are watching season six right now. We're going through the series in our own pace of however we want to do it. And I think we might get to watch normal again tonight, which is a totally crazy Buffy episode where um, she suddenly wakes up in a mental hospital and they are, the doctors are like, oh my god, she's she's lucid for the first time in six years We're and they tr are trying to get through to her and the whole world of her being a slayer and this whole fantasy world is all in her head and they never tell you if that's real or not which is the real Buffy? Is Buffy the girl in the mental institution that's hallucinating the entire Buffy universe? It is intense and it is brilliant and I hate it, but I also love it because I love that they don't give you the comfort of knowing. That's something that, oh my God, I forgot. I was going to read you guys an article. I need to look it up. Um, that's how I'll end this, I guess. So my, I'll just sort of sum up my relationship with Buffy and then I will end this by reading an article that I read this week that is, um, it really hit me. It hit home for me and hopefully my reading of it will have an impact on you as well. But, um, so yeah, I'll just sort of end this thing, I guess. Um... Buffy's my bitch, you know? I have a Buffy tattoo that is, um, a, it is a stake. It is, it is in particular Mr. Pointy that is given to Buffy by Kendra in season two. Um, and it is a left hand with Buffy's big ball purple ring that's in the opening credits. Um, so it's basically Buffy's hand but it's a left hand because I'm left-handed. So that's how I put myself into the tattoo. Holding Mr. Pointy, there's a rosary around her wrist. Um, and there's some cloves of garlic and there's some roses in the background. The roses represent 
Drusilla to me. And then it, there's a little banner that says 5x5. Five five. So it's incorporating all of my favorite female characters of Buffy. The roses are Drusilla. The um, nail polish and the ring represent Buffy. The left hand represents me. And then the banner represents Faith. I didn't do anything to represent Anya, who is also one of my favorite female characters. Oh, the rosary also represents Drusilla. The roses are kind of more Buffy than Drusilla, I guess. Um, anyway, I have a Buffy tattoo. Like, Buffy is my fandom. It is my fandom. So that's why I do this podcast every week. Um, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can email me email me mixtressradio at gmail um you can find me on facebook under the facebook page mixtress radio you can find me on um any social medias mixtress ray um head on over to itunes and leave me a review if you would that would really help me out or um, send me a donation on my PayPal. That would also really help me out. And I would put it directly back into um, the my radio show slash podcast dues. So um, the way you can do that is paypal.me slash mixtressray. M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to end tonight with an article. So I'm going to go find it real quick and I'll be back. Okay this, um, I, of course I have no rights to this. This is from a website called Birth Movies Death by someone named Anthony Oliveira. Oliveira? O-L-I-V-E-I-R-A. And it was published on April 4th. Um, so, um, this article just, oh, it really had me in the feels, man. So I'm just going to read it word for word just to end this, um, little, how I Met Buffy perspective. Um, I think this is very applicable to the situations that we deal with right now in our current political climate. Um, and if you're a big fan of Buffy, this will, this will be a good article, I think, for you. Okay, it's called, Nevertheless, She Persisted, A Look Back at Buffy the Vampire Slayer, on the plural of apocalypse 20 years later. It is a tradition of Buffy, the Vampire Slayer, that Buffy's birthday is always a disaster. On her 17th birthday, Angel loses his soul. On another, the condescending Watcher's Council inflicts its gruesome paternalistic test. On a third, her father figure Giles becomes himself an angry, violent demon rampaging through Sunnydale. This time, in 2017, Buffy's birthday catches us in the midst of almost unprecedented social disaster, as yet again a posturing monster smiles and gathers the power to hurt a generation, expecting us to sit patiently and to swell the numbers of his crowd as he finishes his speech. It's the end of the world. Again. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, now 20 years old, was always about living in aftermath. In the early 90s, Buffy was nothing but a slight, campy movie self-consciously about the light ages of valley girl cluelessness, misunderstood by its audience and half of its cast. But on March 10th, 1997, Buffy came back. It was a return to a life she didn't want, even in the pilot. As she meets with doomed Principal Flutie, we learn she resolutely wants to put her past, a past that both is and isn't the past of the film, behind her. When we meet Sarah Michelle Gellar's Buffy, she was, 
She has already seen too much, already wants to escape. Her first instinct always, run away, deflect, avoid, feign indifference, ironize, make a joke, already on display. The hardest thing in this world she learns over and over again is to live in it. Much is made of the show's first scene, in which gender stereotypes are inverted, and a petite blonde, in this case the vampire Darla, reveals herself to be the powerful one against a world of male aggression and violence. But Buffy was also a show about surviving and about survivors. As, in the fullness of time, we would even learn about Darla herself, a woman who accepted vampirism as her revenge on a world's puritanical scorn. The continuous visual incongruity of Buffy's waifu of tiny women kicking ass has been often critiqued in the intervening years, but it in fact makes an important point about the tendency to overlook, minimize, and infantilize the suffering of young people and particularly young women. In The Gift, another of the show's signature episodes, the teaser ends with the victim Buffy has saved, again male, sputtering, but you're just a girl. Buffy, in the, midst, in the midst with another crippling choice, another taxing ordeal, responds with impossible wariness. That's what I keep saying. The world Buffy moves in, like ours, is one hostile by design to the marginal and minority. Buffy Sunnydale is a town built for demons to feed on. Its world, its architecture and landscape are zones of massacre and atrocity. Dorms haunted by sexually repressed teens, ribbon cuttings obscuring colonial genocides, the high school and its terrorized students perched upon the mouth of hell itself. Sunnydale is America writ small. A sparkling optimism sugarcoating a history of violence. Silence is this town's disease, Joyce Summers insists, rejecting a somber and cynical moment of silence. A metaphor made literal, as so many metaphors on Buffy were, when the fairy tale gentlemen descended on Sunnydale streets, stealing their victims' voices. In a place presided over by grinningly polite patriarchal mares and death-white leers in suits, Sunnydale is another Flint, another, as Mr. Trick, as Mr. Trick points out, Mayberry, a place where you're going to die screaming, but you won't be heard. Its citizens, too, are figures of damage. It is easy to forget, because the show seems to want us mostly to forget, that one of the so-called Scooby Gang, Jesse, Willow and Xander's close best friend, dies in its first episode. Joss Whedon had in fact intended Eric Balfour's name to be in the opening credits montage to make the loss all the worse. Death when it came on Buffy, to Kendra, to her mother, to Tara, to Anya, always comes as a shock, as a horror without coordinates or coherent meaning, as a force that engenders monsters with which we must grapple. Jesse rises again, of course, and the gang learns what it takes to slay him, and learns what it takes to move on. In the end, Buffy as a series only had one kind of villain, creatures that somehow endure past when they ought to have died. Sunnydale was attacked regularly, not just by undead vampires, but by Lovecraftian demons. Remnants, we are told by Rupert Giles, from a time when, contrary to popular mythology, the world was not a paradise, but their hell. And who now refused to recognize the world that was theirs is gone. 
Frankenstein football players and super soldiers, unhappy poltergeists, hapless wolf attack victims turned monsters themselves. They were all figures of being left over, of incomplete and injured survival. Even the show's surprisingly deep bench of robots enact this strange fascination with the echo. From Ted's outdated chauvinism, to April's dejection and dying battery pack, to even the cheerfully bewildered Buffy bot herself, these beings persist in a world that isn't theirs to be in anymore, that no longer makes sense within the parameters they were programmed to expect. But the monsters were not the only thing that refused to stay dead. In the course of the show, Buffy dies twice both times to redeem a thing worth saving, both times brought back by the people who love her to endure a world too bright and hard, populated by figures of misogyny, hatred, and despair, unsure of how to live in the world with the choices it offered her. Nevertheless, she persisted, rising fiercer, stronger, and learning, sometimes with difficulty, not to let that strength and ferocity make her hard and unkind. Buffy returns, and by returning taught me and a generation of people like me the courage to make new friends, to let guards down, and in its tender staging of a gay relationship between Willow and Tara, offered a model, one of the first on television, for what queerness and what queer heroism and queer joy and even queer rage might look like. Confronted in a dreamscape by the first Slayer, who is enraged that Buffy is not alone and has not become a razor in the face of evil. Buffy rejects isolation and bare survival. I don't sleep on a bed of bones. Instead, her heroism insists on hope, on friendship, on life. She wants to date and shop and hang out and go to school and save the world from unspeakable demons. She wants, in other words, to do girly stuff. The show's title, show's title, which the network hated, was always a joke and a mission statement. You can be a slayer and still be Buffy. In the show's series finale, Buffy watches the only world she and the show have ever known swallowed in a massive cataclysm and a broad, bright horizon in front of her, asked what comes next. Where do we go from here? She smiles. Terrible things happen. We can let it destroy us let, us, let it turn us into something dark and cruel and desperate, or we can endure it, find and share power, and come back. Buffy taught a very precious lesson. It is possible to survive the end of the world and to li live long enough to learn, as poor befuddled Riley Finn puts it, the plural of apocalypse. Buffy Summers saved the world a lot. One of the worlds she saved was mine. She taught me that it is possible to live on the edge of hell itself and still find friends, find joy, find life. The mouth of hell will open. Your job is to make sure it chokes on you. She taught me to be brave, yes, but also to live. Happy birthday, Buffy. Isn't that great? Don't you have chills? Oh my god, I love that article. It is so fucking good. I wish I wrote it. Um, again, to give credit where credit is due, this is from a website called Birth Movies Death. And the article is titled, Nevertheless, She Persisted, um, by Anthony Oliveira. So thank you, Anthony Oliveira. That was, that was good shit. So I'm going to end today's episode. We will be back next week with an actual recap for iRobot Eugene. <laughs> 
which is a cheesy as fuck episode, but I can't wait to watch it. Um, so have a great week and I will see you next week. Grrr. Arrgh.